Welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia. Hello. This week, we are going to be talking about Edgar Wright's new film, Baby Driver, starring Ansel Elgort, Kevin Spacey, John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, and various others. This movie has been quite a hit at the box office, although it is a fairly small film compared to today's standards. We are divergent on this film, which is somewhat unusual, and even more unusual is the fact that I totally loved it and Gav was more lukewarm, so this is going to be a slightly, <laughs> slightly yeah. out of usually, character Usually podcast. Morgan's the buzzkill and I'm like the frivolous young, whereas this time Morgan loved this movie and I, I was like, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so for those of you who are not aware of this film, although it's been quite heavily advertised, Ansel Elgort plays a young getaway driver who is sort of indebted to Kevin Spacey and he is involved in a couple of heists, falls in love with a young woman and various shenanigans ensue. He wants to get out of the game. It's all a fairly standard plot. If you've seen one movie like this, you'll be pretty familiar with the kind of things that wind up happening. But I found it absolutely, totally delightful the sort of shtick of the movie is that Ansel Elgort's character, who is called Baby, was in an accident when he was young and has tinnitus and so has to be listening to music all the time. So the film has a pop song playing, I would say, around 90% of the runtime. There's constantly music playing. And I sort of thought near the beginning of the movie, I wonder if this is going to get annoying at some point. And I did not find it annoying at any point. It's incredibly seamlessly done and the music lends a lot of energy to the film but it's not just about the music the filmmaking is incredibly dynamic and I went with our our mutual friend Charlotte and we both described it as bouncy there's just a huge amount of energy in the camera work and specifically in Ansel Elgort's performance which was hilarious yeah I mean he is kind of like a dancer and it's like watching a musical yeah um he is sort of known as being a doofus in real life and the character he's playing is kind of a doofus but in a very charming way and I think he pulls it off. I think it's a really great performance especially the sort of on a physical level a lot of the stuff a lot of there's a lot of stuff he does that's particularly physically charming because he doesn't talk very much but you get a pretty clear sense of who he is from the way his body moves. And I found him really delightful, which again was quite a surprise to me because I've always dismissed him as a, a dummy, which he may still be, but he's a dummy with talent and that's what counts. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love this movie and you did not. So why don't you air some of your <laughs> grievances? I definitely didn't dislike the movie, but I do think, I, I do find that it's overrated just because it's been getting like so much positive kind of attention and like I like Edgar Wright and I did enjoy watching the film and I agree that Ansel Elgort was great which actually I kind of wasn't expecting because I I just find him annoying not because I think he's like a bad person but he just comes across as extremely obnoxious in interviews that sort of thing but he was he was great in this and I really did enjoy the kind of the editing was fantastic obviously with all the music and it's fun to watch but I found it very shallow and I don't mean that in the sense that every film should be deep because it's obviously quite a simple kind of film but compared to Edgar Wright's other movies, which he co-wrote with Simon Pegg or other screenwriters, I think he's not as strong a writer on his own. So I thought some of the lines that clearly other people thought were really snappy, I was like, this is just not very good. Um, and also, 
The backstory of this movie is that Edgar Wright thought this up in the 90s. It's like the movie he's wanted to make for his entire career. And it's one of those situations where like it's his passion project and he's been thinking about it for years and he's perfected like the soundtrack. And also he now has enough technical accomplishment to make this movie, which is basically unique. All of the kind of music video editing elements are fantastic, but like it's like a really basic immature story. And there's some elements of it that are interesting and relatively well executed, but like the female characters, especially, I was like, this is nothing. You've had like 20 years to think up a character for this female lead. And she's just like an attractive woman who shares his interests and has no other life kind of thing. (laughs) It felt really typical to me of like when a movie has to have like a really attractive girl that the guy has a crush on and like she just becomes sort of like a vessel for his interests sort of thing. Like she's just created there to be perfect. And I was like, who is she? And yeah, I just don't feel like it was that great. (laughs) Um, It was enjoyable, but not amazing. I think the stuff about the women... You tweeted something about finding it quite sexist. And so I was thinking about that going in. I was quite trepidatious about it because you had seen it first and not liked it much. And I was immediately. So um, our friend that I went with and I both totally loved it. And I knew from the first couple sequences that I was going to like it a lot. It opens with a chase sequence. They've, robbed a bank and then they're they're doing the sort of getaway chase and then the second scene is him a really long unbroken shot of him going to get coffee and both which is a lot like a musical yeah it's like it's like a music video i would say because he's more than a musical Yeah. yeah um and i was totally taken by it and i thought oh i'm really gonna be into this and i think that i i agree that the female characters are not especially deep there's a sort of backstory about his mother dying i mean his parents are both dead but there's a sort of sort of backstory about his mother that i don't think adds to the film in any way that could easily have been cut but i found lily james really delightful and i found the writing of her actually pretty competent i mean she doesn't have she's there to be his love interest but she felt like a real person to me and not completely just an avatar of like nothing. And I mean, to me, like basically everything I got of the character, I think was thanks to Lily James's performance because I just didn't think that that was like really an interesting character at all. It just seemed like she's playing like the sexy girl. I don't know. I, I really liked her and I thought that their romance was totally believable. And I keep saying charming, but I found the whole movie really charming. And they, like, fall in love quite quickly and then you're, you know, this is the thing that he wants that then is being put in danger by his criminal job. But I found the scenes between the two of them so plausible. I mean, I think it works because um, they both, and especially Baby Driver, seems, like, super young, which is actually something that it's quite hard to put a finger on, but like there's a lot of characters you see in movies who are in their early 20s, but they're sort of ageless. They're just like, oh, it's a young person. Whereas with him, it's not so much that he's acting immature, but he seems like extremely youthful when he like pronounces T-Rex as Trex. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and then kind of like towards the end when it's like he has the kind of fantasies of her as like the 1950s girlfriend. And it kind of, at that point I was like, this is interesting because like the setting 
is Atlanta, which is like an interesting setting because Atlanta is used for loads of movies, but it's rarely used as itself. So that was kind of a cool individual setting. But at the same time, like the whole situation with him being like a criminal who falls in love with like a blonde diner waitress, this kind of retro situation just made me think about like Edgar Wright as like a teenager thinking this up and being like British and having like a really specific idea of what America is like and it's just like kind of really stereotypical generic Americana kind of idea she's like yeah I wish I could just like go out in the open road and we can just drive forever and I'm like wow sure okay (laughs) and I think I think what I liked about the film was that there is a total joy and purity to it that made it feel joyous to watch and I think that that comes through in the filmmaking in a big way like all the chase sequences are so much fun to watch and I think it's going to be really rewatchable not because it is hugely deep but because it is just like the adrenaline rush you get watching it is just massive but also the, the the characters are definitely archetypes, like all the characters in the film, not just the two we're talking about. But I think they mostly have enough specificity to be interesting. But there is this kind of elemental nature to the whole thing that was very compelling to me. And I think the romance worked for me because she isn't particularly specific in the writing. I thought the performance was good, but he also is this kind of sweet dummy who is very young. So, which is a lot of what I think made the movie work for me because it's not like you're getting this man to man. It's like, ah, yes, here's my sexy girlfriend. Like he's just kind of this dumb Kid. He is like he's a pretty rare type of character because like usually there's no middle ground between oh here's like a a dweeb guy who can't get a girl and like here's like some sexy manly man type thing. He was like not falling into like a really stress specific protagonist trope, which I did appreciate and like I did enjoy his performance. Yeah, and then John Hamm plays a character who is very much a man in a way that is both really delightful to watch like he is very attractive in this film but also is not good like he is simultaneously he's also the bad guy and a lot of the sort of man things that he's doing are not presented as positives right and i also quite like that he's an idiot because i do really enjoy it when john ham plays an idiot <laughs> he's not meant to be like a criminal mastermind he's got this girlfriend who's clearly like 15 years younger than him and they're just like making out all the time and making really bad decisions being yes. idiots and they have like his and hers tattoos and i was like i, I actually uh, i really like this and i also <laughs> really like john ham's haircut it was just a great haircut <laughs> john ham's haircut and john bernthal's haircut and beard situation i was very in favor of those were my two favorite elements of this film beyond the music <laughs> sound editing situation which obviously was the reason for the film but apart from that number two is the haircuts <laughs> yeah um how rare is it to see a man with a haircut in a film it never happens yeah i know and it was funny they just have hair john bernthal's is deliberately bad in a funny way <laughs> although i think that's just what his beard always looks like so there's some interesting stuff going on there that we don't need to 
I mean, I, I'm not sure, right? Because like he, he has like a full beard situation going on in the 13th century Ireland action movie I saw him in last week. Can't so wait. his beard doesn't naturally go in a weird go- goatee shape. So he shapes that for this film or possibly for his day-to-day life. That's, that's what it seems like because I've seen some photos where that seems to be his personal choice. God bless him. But maybe uh, that was when he was filming Baby Driver. We need we, to get to the bottom will, of this John Bernthal beard situation. It's, it's we should have done our research. Mystery. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas John Hamm's haircut is definitely a haircut, and it's a very good haircut that uh, he should have always. So, <laughs> with with bad tattoos, lots of bad yeah. tattoos in this movie. Yeah, he is fantastic. I was so pleased. <laughs> the lights came up with the cinema today, and we were sort of saying, like, oh, man, I you know, I loved that. And it, we said a couple of things. Then one of us was like, John Hamm. Oh, John Hamm. <laughs> we were just, I was, like, clutching my chest. Like, finally, he's done something good again. Mad Men is my favorite show. So I was gratified by his presence in this movie. It was very pleasing to me. But he does play this character who's, representing the complete opposite of baby <laughs> the fact that he's called baby is just like great it was um, great to see a movie where just loads of people are, ta- are calling a grown man baby yeah it's a great conceit and i think that that winds up being one of the kind of interesting things the movie is doing is comparing these two types in a way that isn't exactly explicit until kind of the end of the film And I think that if that lead character had been a different sort of person that the movie would have been much less effective. He also has a foster father who is deaf and there are a number of scenes between them that are really, really sweet that involve quite a bit of sign language, which I thought was really neat. You don't see that very often. I also just watched Four Weddings and a Funeral for the first time, which has quite a bit of that as well. It was just an interesting coincidence. And I found those scenes and that relationship genuinely really moving. And so this sort of constellation of stuff around baby made me genuinely very invested in it. Like I, the biggest thing that I got from the movie was just this feeling of joy watching it and the adrenaline rush of watching the action scenes that I thought were all incredibly well done. But I also found it emotionally moving and I was sort of stressed by people being in peril thinking like oh no I don't like this like there are things about this that are making me anxious even though of course you can sort of tell that it's probably going to wind up being fine for people in the film like I don't think Ansel Elgort's going to die spoiler alert for the film he's fine yeah but I think that also is just a very subjective response to to things like I, I felt things watching the movie which and I preferred Hot Fuzz <laughs> <laughs> which I have never seen so shamefully I've only seen one of his other films which is The World's End which is, which is the worst one right which I understand to be true I just kind of missed the other stuff I've been meaning to see a lot of them for a while and I've never really gotten around to it um, Scott, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is good and also like a really rare type, it's like a unique film um, yeah. but the, the kind of concept of an incredibly cool, attractive woman being attracted to George Michael Bluth from Arrested <laughs> Development is like not 
it's it doesn't make sense from my perspective <laughs> <laughs> even though like otherwise it's not i don't think he's a bad actor right like he's really good at playing certain types of role and i recently saw him do something truly amazing in twin peaks um, yes uh, really great so nothing against him as a person or an actor but he's like the romantic lead in this film and it's like what is meant to be the appeal of this fucking dweeb lord <laughs> who can't talk to a woman and then like but anyway no hot fuzz it's the same reaction that i have to that is the reaction people have to this like i think that baby driver is more emotional and obviously you know it's a different type of film because like this is all about the soundtrack and it's a very specific technique and like in that sense i'm impressed but with hot fuzz it's so rewatchable and all the stuff I've seen people like tweeting like, oh, I've just seen Baby Driver for the third time this weekend. And I'm like, how the fuck? I mean, okay, I love car chases, but like I'm not getting anything out of this beyond like the surface level of entertainment, basically. Whereas with Hot Fuzz, it's a film where you can literally watch it on a loop twice in a row because there's a bunch of stuff that's foreshadowed at the beginning and then becomes relevant at the end. And then when you watch it the second time round, all of the jokes have a different punchline. Yeah. And I, I just think that's a better movie. You know, I like Edgar Wright. And my two criticisms for Edgar Wright are that I think he always needs a co-writer. I think this kind of suffered from it being something he's been stewing over for like 20 fucking years. If he'd had someone else helping him write the final version. And also, obviously, he's not super great at having more than one woman. And it's like the women who's the women who the main guy's into. <laughs> so maybe, <laughs> maybe branch out beyond that. But that is obviously not a rare problem among filmmakers. No. It is definitely not. He's he's not the worst in that regard. Like I don't I don't find him kind of gratingly sexist or anything. So this isn't one of those situations like Guardians of the Galaxy where everyone fucking loved that movie and jizzed all over the soundtrack and I was just like, You're all objectively wrong. I think with Baby Driver it's slightly a bit more like I think my taste is just different. Even though obviously I know that I am objectively the most right person in the world. Obviously, yes. Yeah, I think the world's end the woman problem in that is vastly worse than this. But also mind. that film is really depressing. Yeah, I don't remember it that well. I just remember not liking it. It's not very good compared to his other his other work. Yeah. Um, but it's really it's really dark and I think that's not something you want from any of those people. Yeah. <laughs> and like Rosamund Pike is it's again a situation where it's very difficult to believe that she is with whoever it is that she's with. Oh my with god, is it like film. Simon Pegg or something? It's some it Simon Pegg is the lead. And you just think I'm not sure if it's him or someone else, but whoever it is, I remember thinking, okay. Because everyone in all of those me- those movies is just like an average English bloke, because that's like the concept. So right. whoever it is, that's not right. <laughs> right. And I mean, obviously it's a fine subset of people to make films about, but she comes in and she's like very glamorous and beautiful. And the whole thing was implausible. But I think I guess it does get down to the like question of rewatchability ability right because i get what you're saying about getting something different out of something a second time in terms of figuring out the jokes playing in a different way or something like this is a completely different kind of movie but i was just talking about tinker taylor soldier spy to someone and that's a film that gets better on every rewatch i think because the plot is difficult to follow the first time if you haven't read the novel and then also just all the little granular details of stuff like this, even the set decoration, like there's a lot going on that is tied into the plot that if you keep watching and paying attention, things will then sort of pop out to you that you didn't pick up on. But with this, I don't know that you would, that that would happen as much. 
But I don't know that that's necessarily a problem because... I mean, I don't either. I mean, I've seen Die Hard ex- like five times. Right. So I don't think that you need to get something new out of it each it's, time. It's just that it's I didn't totally, enjoy it as much. Right. It's a totally experiential thing. And I could easily see myself going to this a second time with, you know, someone else who hadn't seen it yet because it was just so pleasurable to watch. I'm trying to think of, I mean, Wonder Woman, I also found really, really fun. And I thought it was a really good movie. And I went to see that twice. And that was the first time I've seen something twice in a cinema in a while. I think the last time I saw something twice was Manchester by the Sea, which was a different kind of experience. I mean, the idea of watching (laughs) Manchester by the Sea is insane to me. (laughs) I mean, I thought that film was very good, but the idea of putting myself through that again, I mean... God, <laughs> you have was... to nail me to the seat. <laughs> yeah, um, but Wonder Woman is a bit different because I think that film is really well directed and just really well done, obviously in general. But the filmmaking in this is so propulsive, and so much of what is making it run that that was a large part of where the pleasure and joy was coming from. And so it's not so much the I mean, it, it. I'm sort of repeating myself, but it is obviously the the characters too, and what's going on with them. But just the sort of sheer visceral experience of watching it, I found so satisfying that I think doing it again. Obviously, you never can watch the same film for the first time twice, but I think that that would be really satisfying a second time too and i think that's probably why it's going to make quite a bit of money is that people will keep going back and the word of mouth will be really good it's made something like 30 million dollars if i haven't said that already on a 35 million dollar budget the first weekend which is insane which i think is a really good sign even if people weren't super keen on this film and obviously it is about like a straight white boy which is not an underrepresented demographic but just the fact that a movie that was not about a superhero. Yeah, I mean, I think basically, like, positive. what we're finding, the trick is to making, like, a quote-unquote original movie that's a huge success is, like, either catering to someone who's not being catered before and everyone's like, holy shit, like, I go, have to go and see, like, Hidden Figures. Or you make a movie that's, like, in an incredibly broad, like, generic concept that's been done a million times before, but you do it in a really well, like, skilled way. yeah. Although when is the last time, I mean, as I, as I said in this sort of intro, this is definitely the kind of movie that many people will have seen before. It's drawing on a ton of tropes from I other I mean, films. what I was thinking when I was watching this film is it's like an optimistic Tarantino movie. It's like if a Tarantino movie was made by a nice person. He, he is in the special thanks we noticed at the end. So <laughs> indeed, yes. But I'm trying to think of the last time a movie like this came out. I mean, I guess they were just like 50 in the 80s or something. Right. I mean, obviously there's been something since, but... There are a lot of movies about criminals, you know. I yes. mean, I kept thinking of True Romance, which is obviously the ultimate one, and that's like years ago. And there are quite a few kind of Bonnie and Clyde-esque films, but I don't think there's been one recently, and that's why this one's hitting, because it's got like kind of nostalgia factor, and like they've right. got the kind of cassette tape diner thing, which is also nostalgic. Right, but this is my point, is that it's not that this film is... I mean, it's certainly original in in some ways. Oh my God, there's the 
thing that's like flashing back to him as a little kid and like getting his iPod for the first time when he's like four. And I was like, I, I really am like an ancient crone. Like, oh my god! But we were we were kids when the iPod came out. Not that little. I was not no, that I mean, much. But he's of only a kid. like five years younger than us. But he well, he's supposed to be even younger. I think I didn't have an iPod until I was. I mean, I never had an iPod, but my peers had iPods. <laughs> yeah, but like, I we were definitely we were we were older than that child. Yeah. Basically, anyway, I like that. That was I did appreciate that. Yeah, um, and also I'm assuming his, a lot of people had, had a horrible shock while watching that. <laughs> yeah, he had several different iPods as well, decorated mm. in different ways that I really enjoyed. It was a small detail that I thought was added a lot. But my point is that. It's drawing on all these other things and a sort of a reinterpretation of these various genre tropes. But I can't think of anything that's come out that's especially like this and certainly not anything that was any good. No, I mean, that's why it works. Like, I I don't think that it's a ripoff because otherwise I would be more harsh towards it. (laughs) Right. Like, I think that it's it's basically one of these things that's like remixing stuff that we're already familiar with and enjoy, which is literally everything that Tarantino does. Like, that's what he does and why he's good or why he was good before he became terrible yes oh quentin um (laughs) but what i'm trying to get at is that like nothing gets funded right yeah so the rarity of some of somebody getting to make a movie like this from sony which is not an it's like an actual studio is part of what makes it feel so novel i mean 35 million dollars is not a massive budget but it's also not five million he clearly actually had some money to do this he's got a bunch of i mean jamie fox is in this movie and i think is really fun in it and he is definitely a movie star and so is kevin spacey but it's not like robert downey jr is in this movie right which thank god i did not need that but there are a lot of famous people in it and it feels like a real movie and i think that probably part of the reason it's doing well is that people actually do enjoy films like this but no one makes them anymore as we have discussed ad nauseum yes we we do not need to go in that any further because it's in many of our previous episodes but i completely agree but then (laughs) please give us more 35 million dollar movies right but i think that also aside from this individual film being to my mind really well done probably part of my enjoyment of it was also just like thank god there's something that's different that's fun and good I mean, after I watched it, I was wondering if, because obviously, like, a lot of different elements go into a positive reception for something um, in every case. And I was wondering if a lot of people are just feeling extremely positive towards Edgar Wright right now, because we all kind of side with him in the fucked up situation with Ant-Man and Marvel. Um, So there is, like, a certain amount of public sympathy in the world of film towards Edgar Wright, which I also share, because he did get screwed over by Marvel. But I think perhaps that may have slightly influenced people a little bit. I think that's certainly true to a certain extent, although I think that probably would have been more true like two years ago. Uh, but the Han Solo thing happened and then everyone's remembering again. He, all of his interviews are now about Ant-Man and Han it's Solo. It's true, but everyone saw Baby Driver for the first time in like March. So oh, okay. it, it did break earlier. But he is certainly a, a figure of, of sympathy in general for critics. And he's a huge cinephile and people like that who like movies. He's nice Tarantino. BFI. It's true. It's true. And, you know, if if that's what he's going to do, I'll take it. I was talking about 
this film just moments ago to our resident Ansel Elgort expert Fran Hoffner on Twitter. And what we were kind of saying was, we were both saying we kind of understand the, if people are having negative responses to the film, like I, I understand the criticisms of it, but that I think it kind of, I, she was agreeing that it just sort of, it is what it is and it does what it's doing really, really well. And for me, that's fine and satisfying. Like that's, you know, he does what he does and that's okay. I thought it was great. It's a movie about men. Like, you know, and for some people that's not something they're going to want to see. And I get that. But I had such a blast seeing it and was like, oh, great. <laughs> this is what I wanted to be doing now and not watching something grim and depressing. Great summer movie, I would say. It is, it is it definitely the right a summer time. movie. Yeah. In the South, in America, like it's a very, it has a certain vibe. There's a lot, a lot going on. Oh, before we wrap up, I want to, we've actually not discussed anything spoilery, so I'm just going to discuss something spoilery. We never gave a warning, but if there's anyone still listening, yeah. um, I want to talk a little bit about Kevin Spacey's ending because I was like why are you trying to make Kevin Spacey nice because like he's he's like a huge shithead for the whole film which I was enjoying a lot because like Kevin Spacey is really great at playing a huge manipulative yes. creep it's like his zone so I was like loving Certainly it is. perfect Kevin Spacey role <laughs> and then at like the end he's like they suddenly try and make him all like sympathetic he was like oh yeah I was in love once and then he like dies in a hail of bullets while saving baby and his girlfriend and I was like what I mean, why? Why are you trying to make Kevin... Did Kevin Spacey request in his contract he had to be sympathetic? Like, why are you making <laughs> his character nice? <laughs> I think because it had to... They had to end with one guy being the bad guy. That was probably this narrative strategy. They could just kill him. I mean... It was... I didn't really... I didn't mind. I was sort of surprised, but I wasn't like, I bothered. <laughs> Well, because who would then, I mean, obviously they could have done this. Like he could have died. I mean, you could just have John Hamm drive past and mow him down in a car. Right. But if he's like, what would the motive for that be if he's still bad? I can't remember the exact structure, but doesn't, by the end of it, John Hamm just hates everybody who's involved in like the death of his girlfriend. No, because baby's the one who fucks it up. Yeah. And Baby's not going to kill him because he doesn't, like, murder people in cold blood. No, obviously, Baby's a nice boy. Right. I think we could have found a reason for Kevin Spacey to not miraculously turn into a nice person for 30 seconds before his death. Yeah, I mean, they could have done it, but I think this was probably the most expedient thing. I thought it was fine. And also, there's a lot in the film about, like, parents and children. So they were probably trying to play into that. I mean, the whole movie's about love. And he has the the kid as well. So it was sort of like the different. Yeah. Which, oh After my god, that child was hilarious. I the was child was funny. Dying. The long setup for that Monsters Inc. joke. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that was like one of the best jokes in the movie was the Monsters Inc. thing. <laughs> yeah. Someone tweeted about it. Like, not the content of the joke, but like there's like some, something to the effect of there's this joke in the second half of Baby Driver that's like set up like so early and so amazingly like and um and so I was kind of waiting for it and nothing like nothing was sort of had happened that to my mind filled that criteria and I was like maybe I missed something what and then 
that joke happened and I was like, oh, yes. I now understand. See, that's like every single joke in Hot Fuzz is like that. Except they happen every ten minutes. <laughs> it's a different so, kind of film, Gavia. Yeah, doing it's a, a different one. thing. It's a better film. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I like Jamie Foxx's jacket a lot as well. He did have a good jacket. He was good in this too. We haven't really talked about him, but I enjoyed him a lot. I liked all the actors, actually. I thought they all did a good job. After we watched it, actually, like, what was weird is, like, uh, when I went to see it with three friends and we all had literally exactly the same reaction as soon as we left the theatre, like, we all shared the same opinion, which was, like, that's overrated in exactly the same way. But we were also kind of imagining this film kind of like the um i don't know if you've seen there's this old like mcsweeney's article that's kind of reimagining like novels written by men but like by women so the whole thing is like massively like comedically over sexualizing young men in like a weird creepy way and like what that would be like and i was imagining what this type of film would be like that for that like john ham's girlfriend darling who i did actually enjoy basically there's all these scenes where there's a bunch of like male criminals having a conversation about the plan and then there's like a sexy girl with long nails pawing john ham and giggling in the background and being like hey honey what are we gonna do with all the money when we could do the crime and i was like how great would it be to see like a movie where it's a bunch of like horrible middle-aged women and then like some like sexy 20 year old man like pawing one of them being like honey (laughs) it's like literally never gonna happen (laughs) no that's not how the world works. It's just impossible at this to imagine time. that switch around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So instead we have a room full of Kevin Spacey's. <laughs> There's really only one Kevin Spacey. There is. And I, I do enjoy him tremendously, although obviously I would not want to be in the same room as him in, in case he had me like bumped off by the mob or whatever. <laughs> right. I I feel the same exactly. He's like oh. the only man who simultaneously is a theatre director and has his own hitman, I think. Yeah. That's the Venn diagrams of Kevin Spacey in real life. Yep. And he's the only person who exists in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. Well, we're on different sides on this one. Tell us your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, next week, we will be discussing Spider-Man. So back to superheroes. There are so many of them. Yes. But this, this is our last one until like whenever Thor comes out. Yeah, in like November. November. Yeah. Yeah. So, which so we're, is this is the good. last of the summer period. I saw Spider Man this morning and I thought it was good. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to it. It looks like it's it's fun. Although I will never like a Spider Man as much as Spider Man Two, from my youth. <laughs> Can't wait to rewatch that. I mean, I I also loved those Spider Man movies. I do not remember it at all, but I do remember I do remember it being good. I saw it many times, many <laughs> times. Although I, I don't remember it, I remember certain Dr. things, from, but I don't. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of it that well anymore because it was a long time ago. But well, Michael event, Keaton plays a solid villain in this one. Great! I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to young Tom Holland. Be good. So tune in next week for that. As ever, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.